The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. I've been a tech journalist, conference speaker, whatever else I'm pushing that day, for around 30 years now, and of course a lot has changed. But something that's often struck me is that a number of businesses write things off as futuristic or too advanced for the moment, and then they lose out because the competition is already working in this new way. I was reading a regular newsletter I take a few weeks ago, and I'd recommend this. I saw the writer coming up with the same point. He asked people about their websites, about their practices, and they'd insist that the way they were doing things and had always done things was right. But it might not be anymore, and you end up working in the past with that attitude. The writer has written a number of books on sales and other areas of business, and he's with me now. Graham Jones, welcome to the Near Futures podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you. First of all, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your specialisms and what you actually do. You style yourself the internet psychologist, I believe. I do. I'm a psychologist, and I specialise in helping people understand how people behave online. So. What is the internet doing to our brains? How's it making people behave? And that interface between us as human beings and this technology. And I advise companies, help them understand their customer behavior and how they can engage better with people and how their staff can perform better as a result of using the internet more wisely. And one of the elements of that came up in the newsletter just recently that comes out on Saturday mornings. It really struck me we were so in tune with each other there. This idea that people set their rules in the past and then work to the past. I've got a piece of in my keynote that says that the tick box is your worst enemy unless you revisit it periodically. What was it that prompted you to write that? What, uh, what have you noticed? What prompted me was Marks and Spencer's annual results uh, because they came out with their annual results showing that sales were down yet again and even though they had managed to increase their profits that was largely through reducing costs and a a few other things Um, but basically they're not selling as much as they used to Mm -hmm. and there you've got this massive iconic brand and it's still not succeeding compared with lots of competition. So you've got young upstart businesses like ASOS who are exclusively online selling two billion pounds worth of clothing in a year and you've got Marks and Spencer who, you know, 100 and whatever years old, who can't even catch up. And the reason is that they're still thinking about things in old-fashioned ways, which was revealed by the chief executive when on the day of the announcement of his annual results said, we have a five-year plan in which to be able to improve this. Well, a five-year plan is yesterday's thinking because he really needs a five-month plan Mm -hmm. because in the next five months, other online fashion businesses can take his market from him. Amazon has already taken the market from from them without them realising. And Amazon is about to set up high street stores. So they're just way behind. Their brains are still in the past of business thinking rather than in the future of business thinking. To be fair there, the Amazon High Street store is yet to be a proven concept, it's yet to be proven to work. It may well work, I'm not suggesting otherwise, but uh, we we can't take that for granted. And the ASOS brand, in in my perhaps limited experience as a fashion icon, the ASOS brand is not one that the typical Marks & Spencer's customer will be interested in, nor would the ASOS customer be seen dead in Marks & Spencer, which is of course where you'll find me. Uh, So I'm (laughs) just I hope we don't find you dead in Marks & Spencer. Oh uh, well, if you find me dead, I won't care where I am. But that's uh, that, 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 you're that. right. But the the principle of what ASOS have done 
is to really focus on their target customer. I mean, supremely focus on them. Several years ago, I, your podcast listeners can't tell this, but I am a fashion icon. Because for uh, a few years, I did a lot of work in the fashion industry, online fashion. And so I ended up speaking at lots of fashion conferences. And at those conferences, I was a regular on the, the platform with one of the directors of ASOS. So I got to know him and we were busy chatting about what they were doing. One of the key things, people may not remember this, but ASOS started as as seen on screen. Right. That's what ASOS stands for. It was set up by an advertising agency whose job was product placement in television and films. And so they used to go, we were putting this product into a movie, why don't we sell it online? And And that's how it began. And they noticed that the bulk of what they were selling was fashion. So, you know, they saw Angelina Jolie in a dress and they wanted to buy that, but they didn't want to buy the watch that somebody had worn. So they noticed that it was fashion. And they also noticed that it was people in their 20s who were doing most of the buying. And so they rebranded themselves and refocused. And that's when their sales really took off, when they focused. Marks and Spencer is unfocused. So one of the things that's happened with the internet is that we want to go to people who can, unless you're a massive behemoth like Amazon, which people may not realize that the name Amazon is specifically chosen and the little smile, Amazon smile, connects the A and as the Americans would say the Z mm-hmm. because the whole concept behind Amazon is to sell everything online from A to Z, Yes, from A to Z. And that's why the little uh, arrow connects the A and the Z in their logo. And if you're not like that, and very few businesses can be like that, what the internet has done is focus us into thinking of going to specialists. So if we're 20s, we go to ASOS for our fashion. If we want to buy shoes, we go to Zappos. If we, so different. You, you're saying that this is a bit recent. I mean, when I, when I was growing up in the, in the wilds of Tooting, uh, late 60s, early 70s, there was a shop called Chelsea Girl, yes. uh, which was very much the sort of the, well, the fashion height of Tooting, I imagine. Uh, as a five-year-old boy, I wasn't all that interested. It is certainly where the girls went. Yeah. And um, there was also Marks and Spencers. The girls would not buy their clothes in Marks no. and Spencers, maybe their undies. And there was also Dulces or Clarks or whatever there was, uh, because you would go to a specialist shoe shop. For your, for your shoes. Is this really all that new? It, it's not new as such, but it's much more acute now. So what's happened with the internet is the, the way we shop. We search for cufflinks, mm-hmm. and we'll go to, I don't know if there is a shop called Cufflinks R Us, but if there is a shop online called Cufflinks R Us, we'll go to there because they are specialists, they've got what we want, they've got a broader range, and that means that we're constantly looking for people to focus and so old-fashioned thinking in kind of the departmental store kind of everything under one roof is not the way people are behaving anymore. And so if you're somebody like Marks and Spencer or Debenhams who also got problems or a House of Fraser who also got problems, trying to provide everything under one roof is no longer what people want. That's easy to say, and I'm not saying it's easy to spot, but I'm sure you, you're onto something there. These are substantial companies. How do they? How does a company of that sort of size turn itself around? I mean, companies of smaller sizes can change things more easily than someone that employs thousands. Yeah, it is very difficult that you've got to not only change your whole corporate thinking, but you've got to change your business structure. I sat down with a chief executive of a fairly sizable business a couple of years ago who said to me, can we please 
find the off switch for the internet because if we could switch it off it would solve all of his business problems because he realized that to actually solve his business problems to actually do it he was going to have to change corporate structure he was going to have to change the whole shareholding practice he was going to have to change the way the business ran he was going to have to change the kind of people they employed and it's just too big an issue for a big business to do so one way you can do this is to start creating divisions within your business, to start dividing it into those specialist areas so that you then focus that specialist division into an area and that department runs the cufflinks shop of House of Fraser or whatever it might be. And then you become like a holding company who has lots of specialist smaller companies underneath you. But that requires them to think about the future and not to think about the way they did it in the past. And right. So you've still got a lot of chief executives, of course, who haven't grown up with the internet. The internet is new to them. And so they still think about, well, it was all better when we didn't have this. Well, yeah, but they're not that much older than you and I. I imagine we're roughly sort of of an age and they're, uh, uh, these people are also in their uh, 50s, whatever. So it's not. Most of us have adjusted to this by now, haven't we? Uh, no. Right. Okay. <laughs> when you... I was looking yesterday at some statistics about Instagram. I use Instagram quite a bit, not necessarily to post stuff myself, but to look at what other people are doing. I am in 1% of people of my age group who use Instagram. Right. And yet Instagram has been around for about eight years, so ten years nearly. So you would have thought they would have got used to it, but they haven't. So you find almost everybody who uses Instagram is between 20 and 35. Uh, so I am not between those age groups, as you have kindly mentioned. <laughs> so I, Me neither. I, I'm at the other end, sure. but I use it. And so when I go to business events and discover that actually people of my age group who are chief executives of big businesses, they are not using the internet as much as they like to claim. And yeah. you see many chief executives so-called writing blogs. Well, it's not. It's somebody in their PR department doing it for them. And their tweets are done by an agency. It's great fun to quote a tweet back at them and then they, they deny that having said it. That's right. Yeah. reason that they didn't say it. It's uh, you know, yeah. somebody else on their behalf. Yeah. So what typical areas do people miss in terms of updating themselves and keeping up to date? What are the main problems you come across? What are your clients telling you? I think one of the main issues is not realizing the speed with which things are changing and even though everybody says oh the world's changing fast they don't realize how fast it is changing so they're not keeping up to date with apps they're not keeping up to date with you know the way people are doing things i go into businesses and they say oh you know maybe we ought to think about snapchat and i go snapchat's had its day snapchat is now on its way out so they're too late to the party because they're not really keeping up to date. So they need to have methods, either them who run the business or a department within the business that is keeping up to date with what the latest developments online, the latest developments in technology are, filtering that and circulating that within the business so everybody is kept up to date. Because if you're working on your own, you haven't got time to do this yourself because you're too busy delivering your service. And if you're running a company with 10,000 people, they haven't got time to do it because they're so you need to dedicate somebody to keep up to date and to filter stuff and circulate that within the business. Right. I take everything you've said, uh, that's exactly right. We are all still nonetheless working within our own little bubbles and things work okay until they don't. So what are the danger signs you should be working for in your own organisation, whether you're a sole trader, whether you're in charge of a multi-million pound business? 
what are the danger signs? Because they, they tend to be, the problems are going to set in before they start hitting your profitability. Yes, they, you're right. The, the, those issues that you might be facing, you don't realise that they've actually affected you until sometimes it's a bit too late. So because you're working within this bubble and you're all kind of protected, the crucial thing is to make sure that you go to events. So you go to events that are nothing whatsoever to do with your core business. So one of the crucial things is that if you are running a fashion business, um, simply to just listen to what's being said. And when you come back into the office and other people are using different words, it's kind of, hang on a minute, we're not really keeping up here. If you're a self-employed person, so one of the things I do is, you know, I'll get the train to somewhere and I'll get a magazine on a subject that's nothing to do with me so that I can flick through that magazine and see what's happening in that world to try and catch on with, my goodness, that's the way they're doing that in the world of yachting or something that I'm not at all interested in. That's a really good idea, isn't and that, it? And so that when you start looking at things outside your sector, you begin to realise whether or not you are in this bubble. And so I'd always recommend, you know, get a magazine, watch a TV programme on it, you know, there's 800 channels to choose from. So choose something that you wouldn't normally watch, a channel you wouldn't normally watch. Choose a magazine or a book or something that's outside your normal sphere of operation and then you'll be able to see are you still in a bubble just to give you a bit of decent, yeah. uh, decent perspective you think networking groups are useful for that sort of absolutely thing? do yeah. people disclose what they're doing in networking groups really no but it's about the conversation you have with people mm -hmm. so you'll hear them talking about we're using telegram or whatever and you go what's telegram and you realize you're a bit out of date but telegram is a very minor social media application, but a lot of people use it outside the UK. So if your market is in you know, Eastern Europe, then for example, you would need to be thinking of Telegram as opposed to Twitter. So, and if you didn't, weren't aware of that, you hadn't heard the name, you're way behind. Yeah, you could do, just do the usual freelance thing of saying, oh yes, yes, me too. Yeah. And then forget all about it. That's, uh, that's one, uh, about, it's an old tech journalist trick, that one. Which, yeah. uh, I hate to think about the amount of things, stuff that people have made up and given me the impression it was genuine. So those are really practical points. Thanks very much indeed for that. What changes are on the way? What are you anticipating uh, is coming up over the next year or two? In the next year, sometimes it's harder to say, and I know being a near futurist, this is really vital for businesses because it's sometimes really harder to predict what's going to happen in the next year and I think that's an area where lots of businesses really worry because they've got to plan for their budget for the year ahead what they should be doing whereas thinking about what might happen in 10 years time it might or might not there's some research which shows us so you know the, the betting is that mobile phones are a short-lived piece of technology and we won't be using them in a decade or so because other technologies will have taken over from that Chief executives aren't worried about that because they go, well, in 10 years' time, somebody else will be worried about that. And mm. We need to worry about, as you say, what's happening in the next year. So I think the next, the, over the next year, the crucial things that people are going to be needing to focus on is the whole development of apps. And whilst we've been saying this for a long time, that people are, are increasingly going to specific apps to do something. So if your business doesn't have an app to do whatever it is you need your business to do, 
you really are going to miss out to those businesses because most startup businesses now start with an app and the website is kind of an afterthought after the app sometimes so we've really got to become much more app focused over the next year right and indeed different platform focused I'd suggest as well because people I just redesigned my main website at uh, Clapperton Media Associates and I thought I was delighted with it I thought I'd done a really good job if I do say so myself your mileage may vary of course as a specialist but um, it was when my wife had a look at it on her tablet and the, the lovely picture I'd got as a background had just gone black Right on the iPad, and it's not as if the iPads are minority uh, no, technology. Yes. <laughs> it's and, quite uh, so, well you know, Not not ha- having just got so carried away with the desktop version, and who on earth reads desktop versions ah, of uh, lots of people? I was right. You see, I was right. If you're listening, I was right, Carol. There we are. Yes. Here's what happens. You see, people use mobile devices when they're mobile, but when you look at lots of statistical data about websites, the what happens is the people who have accessed the material on a mobile, unless it's a mobile app where they're buying a ticket for an event, they're buying a train ticket, they're doing something practical, transactional. But if it's non-transactional, what happens is they have a look at it on their mobile device and then they look at it a second time on their desktop. Right. And also, if you're thinking about the corporate world, if you walk into any corporate office, it's full of desktops. Yes, it is. And so they're only using the mobile devices when they're out. But if they go to... See if they're on the train and they're using their iPad and they see your site and it's got a black image, they're not going to look at yeah. it on their desktop when That's they right. come back. So it's vital that you get the, the mobile. Maybe line. Carol's right after all. There yeah. okay. I go. I, so. I surrender on that yeah. one. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> and I'd rather have heard it from a friendly face than voice than from anybody else. So I, I, we could, I'm no doubt we could talk for ages and ages, but I don't, we'd, we'd lose many listeners in the process. So I'd like to sort of uh, wrap up a little here. But perhaps you could tell us a bit about where listeners can find out more about you and about your work and subscribe to your excellent newsletter which I certainly recommend. Okay well you can get me at grahamjones.co.uk and if you want the newsletter just there's a button, a menu option for the newsletter and you just sign up for that and you'll get it at exactly 10 o'clock every Saturday morning even when I'm on holiday. Excellent. Well Graham Jones thank you very much indeed for taking part in the Near Futurist (laughs) podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Many thanks to all of you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or moderator of your technology event, do have a look and then get in touch with my agent, whose details are, of course, on the site. The next episode of the Near Futurist podcast will go live in two weeks' time. My name's Guy Clapperton. See you then.